This morning we are continuing our sermon series, Come to the Table. And if there's anything in this series that that I hope is a, a takeaway for us, it's simply this. Great things happen at the table with Jesus. Great things happen at the table with Jesus. Two weeks ago, we uh, dropped in on a a meal that Jesus was having in the home of a prominent sinner. Uh, No, I'm sorry, a prominent Pharisee. Last week, we dropped in on a meal that Jesus was having with a prominent sinner, Zacchaeus. Today, we're going to drop in on another meal that Jesus was having with two disciples. And what we're going to see is that great things happen at the table with Jesus. Join me as we pray for the reading of God's word. Lord, uh, your word is living and active. And uh, so we pray that you would apply your living and active word to our hearts. Lord, that you would uh, produce faith in us, that you would produce sight, that we might uh, seek you and find you. Uh, as we seek you with all of our hearts. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our heart, be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The the account that we're going to look at comes at the last chapter of Luke. If you're going to open your Bibles, it's Luke 24. Otherwise, it will be on the screen overhead. Luke chapter 24. We're... um, We're experimenting with our lights. We're trying new software today, so if it's going in and out, that's because we're experimenting with some some new software. (laughs) Luke 24, verse 13. We're going to jump into this, and then I'm going to explain some of the context of the passage. So we're just going to jump in. Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So some real quick background to the passage. The two of them that Luke is referring to are two disciples, but not two of the twelve. This is not James or John or Peter or Andrew. This is two of the larger group of of disciples, probably uh, 120 disciples uh, that followed Jesus around. This is two that were part of that, that larger circle. They knew Jesus. Jesus knew them. They were there. They, they saw him perform miracles. They saw him uh, They heard him teach. They shared meals with him. They knew Jesus, and Jesus knew them. We might also say that they didn't know Jesus as we continue reading, which I think is a really good description of us. We know Jesus, and we'd also have to say that there's much we don't know about Jesus. The journey of discipleship is is a journey of of growing to know God, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ more and more. And one of the most dangerous things for a disciple is to arrive at that place where you think you've got it figured out, where, where you know everything there is to know. If you are not learning, then you're not a disciple. The definition of disciple, the the word is methetes, and literally what disciple means is learner. 
So if you're not seeking to grow, if you're not seeking to know him, seeking to find him, just kind of plateaued and content to be there, then you're really not living the life of a disciple. So that's what the two are doing that day. They're on this road, and they're heading back to Emmaus. It's been three days since Jesus was crucified, and they're talking with each other about everything that they thought they knew, everything that, that they thought they knew about Jesus, so they're reflecting back on it. And they're, they're struggling because this is not how the script was supposed to play out. In their understanding of the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus the Christ, he was not supposed to be the victim of Rome. He was supposed to be the victor of Rome. He wasn't supposed to buckle under the authority of Rome. He was the one who, who had all authority. And so when they saw him hang on that cross and breathe his last breath, their hopes of who they thought he was died. And so now the story's over, the show's ended, the curtains have closed, the lights have come on, hallelujah, and they're going home. It's all over. Everything that we hoped, it apparently wasn't true, so they're going home to Emmaus. It's the third day. The scripture says that they're down. They're depressed, they're disillusioned, they're disoriented. And, and the irony is, is rich. It's the third day. The third day is going to become known as the Lord's Day for all of eternity. Today, we call this day the Lord's Day. It's the Lord's Day, and they're grieving the death of their Lord. But God glories in reversals. God glories in reversals. A day that you and I might perceive as the worst day of our life becomes the best day of our life. What we think is certain death turns out to be life. What we think is a loss turns out to be a gain. What we think is two steps back actually becomes three steps forward. What is intended for evil our great God uses for good. God glories in reversals. And so in the midst of their confusion, Jesus walks up and joins them on the road. But he doesn't allow them to recognize him. So this is the same Jesus that a couple days ago they saw die on a cross, and now he's walking with them on the road towards Emmaus. It leads me to another story in Scripture a story that happened hundreds of years earlier. The story is about a man named Jacob, and he's on a journey of his own. He's, he's double-crossed his brother Esau. It's not safe for him, so he's, he's left home. He's traveling, traveling to a place called Haran, and he falls asleep. And while he's sleeping, God gives him this dream, and in this dream, he sees a ladder that extends between heaven and earth, and on that ladder, there are angels coming down, and there are angels going up. It's a portal between heaven and earth, and then at the top of the ladder, he sees the Lord, and the Lord speaks to him, and the Lord says, I am with you, Jacob. I am with you, and I'm going to watch over you wherever you go. And when he wakes up, he has the wisdom to recognize this isn't just a dream. This is a vision that God has given me. In other words, this is reality. 
What I just dreamt is not illusion, it is reality. God has opened my eyes to see something that was always there, but it was invisible to me. And so Jacob says this, surely God is in this place and I didn't know it. And so I'm reminded of, of this years later now, these two disciples, they're on the road to Emmaus, back to a world where the, the distance between heaven and earth is enormous, back to a, a world where there is no ladder. It seems like there's no portal. And they're going back to this world, which for many of us today, that describes our world, our worldview, how we see the world. Like we have heaven and earth just thousands of miles apart. Heaven is some way way up there, we're way down here, and the two never come together. Well, that's the world that they think they're going back to. Jesus comes up and joins them, and soon they're going to join Jacob in saying, surely God was in this place, and we didn't even know it. So Jesus joins them, and he says, what are you talking about as you walk along the road? One of them, a disciple named Cleopas, couldn't believe the question. You've got to be kidding. Like, you don't know. Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem, he says, and you don't know the things that have happened here in the last three days? Like, where have you been? Have you been hiding behind a rock? Which I, I, I love that. Like, yeah, <laughs> for three days. And so, just, I guess only there were two of us that got that. <laughs> And so, the, the, I mean, it's so humorous. So they begin to tell, it's just, some of you are just getting it now. So they begin to tell Jesus all the things that happened to Jesus in the last three days. He was a powerful prophet, they said. We thought he was the Messiah, the one to redeem Israel. But he was crucified. And so clearly he wasn't the Messiah. He wasn't who we hoped he was. And then get this, some of our women, they said they went to the tomb that morning and they said the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. Women. But, but then some of our companions, they went and they, they said the same thing that the women said. Oh, how foolish you are, Jesus said to them. He's going to start to remove the veil from their eyes. How foolish you are, and then listen to this, how slow of heart you are to believe. All that the prophets have spoken, did not the Christ, the Messiah, did not Jesus have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was in the scriptures concerning himself. So they have this Bible study on the road as they're going, and Jesus begins to explain to them the Old Testament scriptures, things that they thought they knew, but they were wrong. If we listen to Jesus closely, what he's saying is that their problem was not so much a problem of understanding. It wasn't necessarily a head problem, but rather a problem of believing. How slow of heart you are to believe. You see, according to Jesus, the formula for us to follow is faith that seeks understanding. And we always get that reversed. Like, I'm not going to believe until I'm able to cognitively put it all together. 
We, we put the understanding before. I, I need to know it all. I need to be able to figure it out. And then maybe I'll believe. But he says, how slow of heart you are to believe. Believe and, and the understanding will come. The journey of discipleship begins with faith. Think about all the things that you believe that you don't fully understand. My guess is that's quite a long list. I I just thought for just a a few seconds of the things that I believe that I don't fully understand. I I don't understand all the scripture teaches about the end times. And there's so many differences of opinion. I don't understand it, but I believe that Jesus is coming back. I don't understand what heaven is going to be like. I don't understand what Clara is enjoying right now. But I believe it's going to be more awesome than I can possibly imagine. I don't understand how God is sovereign over everything. Here in the Reformed tradition, that is our hallmark. God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. But the scripture also says that he gives us the ability to choose. He gives us a a will. And I don't understand how those two things come together, but I believe both are true. God is sovereign, and he gives us the, the ability and the responsibility to make choices. I don't understand suffering. I don't, but I trust that God is good in the midst of it. Jesus took them back to the scriptures, back to the scriptures that they thought they knew, that they they had read, that they had studied, that they had memorized, and he began to reveal to them what they hadn't understood or seen. He's speaking to their heads and to their hearts. So Jesus shared with the disciples the teachings from Moses and the prophets, He revealed to them all along the Messiah was one who would suffer. He would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our iniquities like a lamb led to the slaughter. He'd bear the sin of the world. He'd be made an intercessor for sins. This is the truth about God that has always tripped us up. I mean, through every generation, these are the big questions that people ask. If there's a God... Why did he create a world in which he doesn't always win? I mean, why, why would God die? Why a cross? Why a cross for him? Why a cross for us? Why does he say to us, if you want to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross? Why suffering? Explain that to me. Why would God bleed? If there's a God and this is the world he created, is he really good? I mean, these are the challenging questions that have always tripped people up. I think of another story that that mirrors this story. It's a story of an Ethiopian. He's on a journey of his own. He's been to Jerusalem to worship. He's going back to Ethiopia. He's riding in a chariot. He's reading the prophet Isaiah. You know what he's reading? He'll be crushed for our iniquities. He'll be led like a lamb to the slaughter. This is what he's reading, and he's confused. God leads Philip to run up beside the chariot, just like Jesus joined the disciples. Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? I don't. How can I unless someone explains it to me? And so he invites Philip under the ch- into the chariot, and then like Jesus, Philip begins with the, the prophets and Isaiah and Moses and explains to him about the Messiah that he had to suffer. He had to die. Why? Because this is how he's going to purchase our salvation. He had to take the debt that belongs to us. God so loved the world, he sent his son, 
not to condemn the world, but to save the world, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so God opened his eyes. Jeremiah says, when you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, God is not playing hide-and-seek. He desires to be found. And so these are disciples, and they're trying to figure it out, and Jesus is gradually opening their eyes to what had to happen with the Messiah, but they still don't recognize him. So they arrive in Emmaus. Jesus acts like he's going to keep going, and they insist, please come, come join us as our guest, which is a, a beautiful truth that when invited to a home, Jesus never declines. When invited into a home, Jesus never turns down that inv invitation. I stand at the door and I knock, he says. And if you open the door and invite me in, I'm going to come in. And you know what we're going to do together? We're going to dine together. We're going to sit at the table together. But what if my home's messy? Like what? We got dog hair all over the place right now. What if my, my home hasn't been cleaned up? What if there's some things that I'm embarrassed about in my home, metaphorically? What if there's some things that I'm ashamed about? Welcome to Zacchaeus' world. Remember Zacchaeus last week? Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your home. And Zacchaeus could have been like, uh-oh, he's coming into my home. But instead, Zacchaeus was wise enough to rejoice and be glad and, and come on in, Jesus, come on into my home. And then his house gets in order after Jesus comes into the house. So they invite Jesus into their house, into their home, and immediately the, sh the scene shifts, scene shifts to a table. Great things happen at the table with Jesus. God opens eyes at the table. Lives are transformed at the table. We diminish the table at our own expense. So together they sit down to, to share a meal. I just want to take a second to think about hospitality because we are so removed from the first century, so removed from the reality of what sitting down for a meal meant. The world that we live in, we like it, you know, Jimmy John's freaky fast. For us, a, a meal is really a task. It's a means to, to get back to the important stuff. So we, we cook it fast. Better yet, we have someone else cook it fast. We eat it fast so we can get back to the important stuff. That's not the world of the first century. In the world of the first century, the meal is the important stuff. Other things are, are organized around the meal. So this is an intimate moment. They invite Jesus in as their guest to sit down at their table. Great things happen at the table. They sit down to share a meal, and immediately Jesus, the guest, becomes the host. And they're very happy to let him do this. So, so he takes the, the role of a host, and he prays. And this is a prayer because they're his disciples. They've heard him pray a thousand times. Blessed are you, God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he breaks the bread and he gives it to them. 
And the scripture says their eyes are opened and Jesus disappears from their sight. He gives them the bread, their eyes are opened and Jesus disappeared. This is their Jacob's ladder. The table, the bread is the portal that God uses to open their eyes, not to things that are not real, but to things that are, are very real, just usually invisible to us. And they recognize Jesus, and then they reflect back on the conversation. Were not our hearts burning with us when he was explaining to us the scriptures? Great things happen at the table. Friends, today we're invited to a table, a communion table, a table where, where we, we have the bread. We recognize that God has given us this bread, and, and the bread is him, and it's been broken for us. Take and eat. Eyes can be opened at the table. Lives can be transformed at the table.